Have you ever heard uh, the saying, you can't judge a book by its cover? Man, I, I've learned that lesson uh, the hard way more, more often than I care to admit. But there was this one time in particular. It was a number of years ago, and I was uh, sitting in the office of the church that I was pastoring at the time. Sitting in the office, and the window faced the, the street. And uh, there was a long driveway that came up from the curbside, came up to the office, and then went, ran parallel to the entrance. This particular day, it was... Uh, Late November, early December, you know that time of year when fall gives way to winter, it was cold, especially in the evening. And this particular morning, there was fog, there was mist in the air, there was that ground fog that often is the case that time of year. So you could not even see some 10 feet in front of you. You could hear the traffic on the roadway, but you couldn't see anything. So I'm looking out the window and from a distance, it looked like a figure, like a somebody walking up the driveway towards the office. And as this man approached, he got closer and closer, sure enough. It was a man. And he approached the driveway. And what I remember of him is he was tall. He was a big dude. And he had this huge backpack strapped to his back. And there was a, a, a knapsack. There was a, a sleeping, sleeping bag kind of at the top of it, made it look even larger. So he comes across and he walks in front of the offices and he heads over to the entrance of the offices. And of course, foolishly, I'm drawing conclusions about this man based on his appearance. Man, like I said, I heard that, learned that lesson the hard way. So about a minute or two later, the church receptionist walks down the hallway and says, Pastor Ed, can you come up front here? There's a man. And yeah, I kind of expected that. So I made my way up to the front, met this man, very kind man, and we we went into an adjacent room. There was an empty room there. We just sat down. He took off his backpack and some of the layers of clothing that he had. And he had spent that night, all night, outdoors. In fact, he spent many nights outdoors. But as we started to talk and engage in conversation, one thing I saw and learned from this man is that he was intelligent, he was articulate, winsome, funny, and I was really enjoying my conversation with him. Man, and I remember even thinking, boy, was I wrong. Was I wrong about this guy? So as we're talking, I got him a hot cup of coffee. We're chatting. And, you know, I'm starting to get to, uh, to know him a little bit and hear his story. And he tells me this incredible odyssey. His name was Robbie. He was about uh, in his 50s, early 50s at that time. And he, uh, he lived in Prince George, B.C., in the northern part of British Columbia. And... This odyssey, this journey was, that he was on, he was actually hitchhiking his way across the country. Hitchhiked his way all the way to the Maritimes, and by this point, he was hitchhiking his way back. Two years, two years, and there he is sitting in front of me. So you can imagine, I'm just kind of dumbfounded, not sure what to say, and I look him in the eye and I said, Robbie, that's it's interesting, but why? Why would you do that? Well, and that's when uh, the story really became very impactful. You see, it was two years before this very encounter. He was home, Prince George, B.C. It's a city that I visited a number of occasions, beautiful city, northern part of B.C. He was home, he was working, and he, he was married, and he had a family. He had a son who, at that time, would have been in his late teens, early 20s. And uh, tragically... Two years before this, his son died. 
unexpectedly. Tragically, he died and they were heartbroken. He and his wife, his wife was his high school sweetheart. They had known each other from the time they were in high school and teens and they were completely devastated by this unexpected calamity. And uh, so they had the, the, the service and the funeral and the grief and the pain was too much to bear, especially for his wife. And tragically, a few days after that, she took her own life. She committed suicide. So within a span of about seven to eight days, he buried his son and then his wife. I, I didn't know what to say. I was speechless. Then he says, he tells me, with, still with, with this kind of peace about him, though, he says to me, he says, you know, Pastor Ed, he said, the pain, the fear, the grief was overbearing. I, I couldn't take it anymore. He says, so I, I grabbed this backpack that was sitting right there on the floor. He said, I threw some clothes in it, and I just put it on my back, and I just locked the door of my house, walked right past the driveway where his brand-new pickup truck was, he said, I just started walking. No destiny in mind. I just had to get out. And then, <laughs> I guess, at the moment, somebody offered him a ride, and the next thing you know, he's hitchhiking his way, literally across the country to the Maritimes and back. But as the Lord would have it, on this journey, he came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. He, he met the kindness and the, and the love of God's people through the journey, and he would stop off in towns and stop, stay a while, and earn some money by doing some uh, work and labor and so on, and stop off at churches. And people throughout the journey were, were just ministering to him and proclaiming the true message of the gospel of grace. And he came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's an incredible story. And there he is sitting in front of me. And I said, Robbie, what, what, what are you planning to do now? What, why are you here? He says, oh, well, he says, Pastor Ed, I'm hitchhiking my way back home. What? I'm hitchhiking my way back home to Prince George, B.C. And I remember looking at him. And I just said to him, Robbie, I can't let you do that. It's way too dangerous. There's no way that I can sit here and pat you on the back and say, you know, all the best and Hope it works out. No. So, so what we did as a staff, we pooled our resources and we bought him a one-way bus ticket back to Prince George. In fact, one of the staff members even volunteered to drive him down to the bus terminal. So this encounter that took, um, this was a, a few hours now, by the time he was uh, ready to leave, we, we got him a nice hot breakfast and got him some supplies and uh, he packed up his stuff and he was on his way out the door to get a ride to the bus terminal. And then I remember he turned to me and he stopped and he looked me in the eye and he, he, just, he just gave me this warm embrace. And the two of us just kind of hugged each other and I prayed for him and I said, Robbie, give me a call when you, when you arrive, let me know that you got there safe and sound. Smile on his face, he said, I will, I will. And off he went. I walked back down the hall into my office, shut the door and I don't know, for a few minutes, I just sat there and wept. What a story. Fast forward now, I don't know, some six weeks. It was in the middle of January. I'm back in the office and the phone rings. I pick up the phone and it's him. It's Robbie. And so we exchanged some pleasantries there for a while. And he, he said, you know, I, I'm sorry I delayed the call, but I'm back home. I got here safe and sound. He was thanking us profusely for buying the bus ticket home. And then he said this, and I wrote it down. He said, Pastor Eddie said, 
I'm home now. He says, it's still really, really hard. But I'm learning to trust Jesus now more and more each day because he is with me. And then he said this. He said, the fear that consumed me. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm working towards getting rid of that. And then he said, because there's no more running away from my yesterdays. Amen. Hung up the receiver and I just sat there and pondered that whole encounter. It was truly remarkable. You know, it, it, it seems, right, that life itself insists that we be courageous, right? I think we've learned that lesson the hard way these, you know, since this whole COVID-19 pandemic, these last 15 years, no, I know, 15 months. It feels like 15 years. But these last 15 months, you know, it's, it's been tough. There have been ups and downs and trying to negotiate and navigate through these things and to do what's right but not to shrink back in fear. So, so how, how would you define courage and fear, right? Well, courage, the Oxford Dictionary defines courage this way, the ability to do something that frightens you and strength in the face of pain, grief, and fear, end quote. And in fear, fear is defined this way. Fear is that unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by an anticipation or, or, or an awareness of danger, either real or perceived. You, you know those feelings, that, you know, that sweat, the sweaty palms start coming up and trembling and the, the hot flashes and you just kind of feel confused. Yeah. But as you'll see, as we can see, one, it, it comes with the other because they're there is no courage apart from fear. And there is no mission apart from faith, and there is no faith apart from God. Today we're going to be in Joshua, Joshua's book, the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. And we're going to go through each one of the verses, verse by verse. So if you have your Bible at home or on your device, then I would encourage you to follow along, because we're going to go through it verse by verse as we enter through here. So let me just set the context, set the stage as before we dive into this incredible, beautiful passage in God's Word. I love God's Word. Man, I love God's Word. So we come to this passage today. We see Joshua. He was divinely chosen, commissioned by God, as it were, and mentored by Moses, right? We know Moses. Forty years he led the, the nation of Israel. He led them from captivity in the 40 years as they wandered through the desert and he was their leader. And, and, and God describes Moses as the most meek man on earth, the most humble man on earth. In, in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, the previous uh, book, God describes Moses this way, and there was not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Incredible. But Moses is gone. It, the task of, of taking this nation of Israel across the Jordan River, on the east side of the Jordan to the west side of the Jordan River, into the Promised Land, now falls to Joshua. And this is a promise. 
It's the promise over 400 years earlier that God had reserved for Abraham and for his descendants that the land between the Nile and the Euphrates River from Lebanon to the north to the Mediterranean Sea, this land, the promised land, would be the land for the nation of Israel. So we find here, as we're about to enter this passage, here's what we find. We find that the the nation of Israel, 40 years wandering in the desert, some 2 million or thereabouts, had now come to the precipice. They now had arrived at the destination. They reached the promised land. Again, as I said, 40 years and wandering. Why 40 years? You know, if you look on a map and you look at your geography, Egypt to the south and Israel to the north, it's it's only a few days journey, maybe a few weeks at best. Why 40 years? Well, they gave in. They gave in to their fears. They gave in to their their need to to feel in control. They, 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 They searched for and wanted what they had known, even though what they had known for centuries of captivity, they thought at this point, There's too much uncertainty. We don't know what lies ahead, so let's just forget this. Let's just forget this task, as hard as it might be, and let's head back. Even though back meant slavery. They rebelled. They disobeyed. And there's a huge price that comes with that. Now, over the course of the 40 years, the whole nation, a whole generation died, was wiped out. Only two of the original Uh, of people who had left Egypt, only two were to enter the promised land, that being Caleb and Joshua. Even Moses himself was not to enter the promised land. He would not enter the promised land because he rebelled against God by failing to uphold God as holy at the waters of Mirabah at Kadesh, as Numbers chapter 27 tells us. So the task of leading a nation now falls to Joshua. Joshua, a man of courage, a man of faith, but a man just like you and me. So today we're going to look at four points in these nine verses. Four points that I hope and pray that God uses to strengthen our resolve, to help us make up our minds, to arise from and go to. To arise and go to be strong and courageous, to be careful to obey, because the Lord is with us. So let me pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Father, thank you, as we've set the tone for this, that you would indeed correct us, you would, you would guide us, you would encourage us, that our desire is to, in fact, be strong and courageous. Help us through these days, the days that we have lived, and, and the days that, that lie ahead of us with hope, with passion, Lord, just re-centered on the gospel and and, and refocused on on, on Jesus Christ, Lord, and and renew our passion. So encourage us from your beautiful word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so you there with me? Strap on your seatbelts. We're going to dive right into this beautiful passage here. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now let's stop right there for a minute. Right there in verse 1. It says, after. After the death of Moses. Not before. 
Not before, but after the death of Moses. And by the way, when we see this in the Bible, we see these a notation after the death of Moses. Isaiah chapter 6 is a similar notation, said that the year King Uzziah died. It's not just a, a footnote, a historical footnote in God's word. God inserts that in his word because he is giving us insight into what is going on in the life of Joshua and in the nation of Israel at that very moment. Moses is gone. As I said, he was the only leader that that nation, many of the people who wandered the 40 years, he's the only leader they ever knew. He brought them from captivity and was taking them right to the precipice of the promised land. He's gone. There's fear. Now what? You can imagine uh, those who were there, the, the hundreds of thousands, who knows, the many people that were there are trying to figure out what's now, who's going to lead us? What's now? There's fear. There's uncertainty. There's worry. Why? Because as was the case then and is still the case today, those who oppose you, the nations that surrounded them, would often use this moment of fear and uncertainty for their benefit. And if they had ill will directed towards the nation of Israel, this was the time to capitalize by attacking. So, so add that to the equation. So who's going to lead us now? So there's uncertainty, there's fear. This is the climate, not, not the weather, but this is the spiritual, emotional mental, physical climate that Joshua inherits the mantle of leadership. All right, so after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. What a beautiful description. Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, Joshua, you assisted him. Moses was my servant. Moses, my servant, is dead. This is verse 2. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Beautiful. Moses, my servant, is dead. You assisted him. And with those words, it's over. God honors Moses in those words, but now he is encouraging Joshua and the nation of Israel in the midst of their grief to arise and go. Very, very important principle here that we're going to see through the rest of these passages. Moses, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Moses has departed from the scene. The task falls to Joshua. He's the leader. He's been mentored. He's been poured into decades and decades of being aside, right beside Moses. Joshua is the leader. And, and so, so what is leadership? How would we even define leadership? You see, leadership is influence through relationships towards God's purposes. And, and servant leadership is all about character. It's all about authenticity. Character proves authenticity. Authenticity leads to trust. And trust leads to leadership. And leaders serve. You see, Joshua is not a leader in search of a people to lead. They are a people in search of a leader to serve. You see, the former, the former seeks to to advance his own agenda, 
to fulfill his own desires, whereas the latter seeks to serve the people. That's an important principle that still applies today. So Joshua, let's go. Pick it up, Joshua. You will lead this people. Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread, will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. This is very interesting. Because God tells Moses, every place that the the, the sole of your foot will tread, it hasn't happened yet. He was not unfamiliar with the territory because he had gone and spied it out with the 12 spies some decades before. So he's not totally unfamiliar with the lay of the land. But God is reminding him, every place that your foot will tread is the place of the promised land. This is the land of the promise, that way. Not where you just came from because that was the land of the rebellion. You are coming from, you are going to emerge from that and you're going to go there. And one of the principles God reminds us of is God always fulfills his promises. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. Verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Hittites, the great sea towards the going down to the sun, uh, to going down of the sun shall be your territory. So God is, know, he's basically giving uh, Joshua a bit of a geography lesson here. You can picture Joshua. He's probably on a high elevation on the east side of the Jordan River, and he's looking. And as he's looking west over to the promised land, God speaks to him. And he reminds him, this land, this beautiful land that I had promised you, the the outermost limits should be from the desert of Arabia on the south to Lebanon on the north and from the Euphrates on the east and from the Mediterranean Sea. This is the promised land. Oh, but by the way, it's also the land of the Hittites. There are people there. There are fierce nations that live in that land. The Hittites, God mentioned specifically because they were reputed to be uh, uh, the most hardy and warlike of the people that existed in that land. Many decades before, as Joshua and Caleb and the other spies, and they saw some of the people of the land, and they said, man, these, these guys are huge, they're big. We are nothing but grasshoppers. We will never succeed. It was Joshua and Caleb said, no, we must go. We must inherit the promise because the Lord God has given us this land. But the Hittites are there. You will depose this people and and the the other nations that there. Because this is the land that I have given to you. So after the geography lesson, we come to verse 5. And he says, this is God saying, No man shall be able to stand before you, Joshua, all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I love that. You see, that's not just a promise. It's also a warning. As God reminds Joshua of that, he's saying, no man shall be able to withstand you, but they're going to try. They will. As was the case those years before with Moses. There was many skirmishes. There were many fights. You may even lost some of the skirmishes. They may have lost some of the skirmishes, but they will never lose the battle because the battle belongs to the Lord. It's a promise, but it is also a warning. It's a promise, but it's also a warning. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you 
or forsake you. And then look at verse 6. Verse 6, God says, be strong and courageous. That's the first time God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. But he says it three times in these nine verses. This is the first time he says it. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people, the nation of Israel, to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. To inherit something means that you receive something by succession, basically. It's, it's a legacy. You will cause, you see, God used Moses to bring emancipation, freedom from slavery. God is now using Joshua to bring repatriation, to come back to the promised land. Your destiny is secure. And both point to the reality of Jesus and the Messiah who was to come because God brings reconciliation through the personal work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Be strong and courageous. You shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers. To give only, verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful, be care, being careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. You see, another principle here. You have to be before you can do. You have to be before you can do. And this is the second time, two verses only. This, one, this time God says only. Make this your priority. Be strong and courageous. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. So what, 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 what is this strength and courage that God is speaking of here? Is it, is it a physical strength? Does that mean we have to spend hours in the gym working out? Does that mean we have to, to, to increase our physical strength? That's not, that's not what God's saying here or speaking about here. There's an element of that to be sure. But that's not what God is saying here. This strength and courage is a resolve. Be resolute and make up your mind and arise, emerge from this and go to that. He, he says that. God says those very words in verse 2. Arise, go, be strong and courageous. Emerge from this and go to that. Resolve. Make up your mind. You see, fear is the prison that will confine potential every single time. And there is no courage without fear. There is no mission without faith. And there is no faith without God. Arise. Go. Two times. Only be strong. Make this your priority. And, and God says, be, be careful. Take great care to do, be, so that you can do according, in agreement with all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. You see, the, Joshua would have had the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible that God authored through Moses. He was there. He had a front row seat. Be careful, God says, uh, uh, to keep those words at the forefront, right? right? Rise up. Make up your mind. Immerse your mind in the promises and in the word of God. Do not turn from the right hand to the left hand that you may have good success. The author of Hebrews says this, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. That's the same idea here. And I tell you, in all the years that I've been serving the Lord in ministry and vocational ministry, this one thing I can tell you, you never drift into 
a, a, a consuming passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't drift into that. You work at that. You, you, you make that intention. You make that, you carve out the time and you make that the intention of your heart. You can drift away from that. You are either moving in the direction closer and closer to Jesus or you are drifting further and further away. God is reminding Joshua and, and us, be careful, be careful. Verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful. See, again, be. Be careful to do according to all that is written. Right? Be careful. All that is written in it. Be careful. The apostle Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He said, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. There you go. I'm starting to get that now. There's, there's, there's such importance connected to be making sure that you are spending time in God's Word. But, but I love this, the way, the way God spells this out to Joshua. He says, the book of the law, the Torah, God's Word shall not depart. In other words, it was there and now it's gone. Right? It drifted away. It's absent. It's a wall. But it shall not depart, he says, from your mouth in reference to the words you speak. You shall meditate the thoughts that you think. How long? When? Day and night in reference to the time you keep. Be careful to do. Take great care in the things you seek to do according with, in agreement with, all that is written. All of it. The entirety of God's word, our eternal source of strength, right? We, we, we resolve, we're resolute, and we make up our mind, immersed in the word of God. God goes on to say in verse 8, he said, do that so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in the law, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, it's very interesting here because God defines success very different than the world does, right? In God's definition of success, in God's economy, in the kingdom of God, the path, the journey is crucial in forming and fashioning, in determining the outcome. The world sees it the other way around. The world says that the, the outcome is crucial in determining the path. But you know what I mean, like by, by any means necessary. Uh, and take shortcuts, cut corners, just get to the outcome. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Not in God's economy, not in the kingdom of God. There are no shortcuts. There are no cutting corners. Because this path, the ups and downs, the pain and the suffering, the, 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 the successes and failures is key to determining the outcome. Uh, you, you, you can't take a pass on that. And then verse 9, have I not commanded you? It's a rhetorical question. He's, remind, he's reminding them, remember, have I not? Have I not come through with you? Remember the principle, God always fulfills his promises. Have I not? Be strong and courageous. Be resolute. Be resolved to make up your mind. Do not be, see, you have to be so that you can do. Don't be this, frightened. 
Do not be dismayed, in other words, confused, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the third time, I mentioned this before, this is the third time that God says, be strong and courageous, but in this instance, he attaches, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed. You see, what God is doing here for, for, for Joshua and for us is he's identifying the three existential sources of Joshua's greatest fear. What are they? We just read them. Number one, the land. Right? The land that you are about to go and inherit. The, the physical terrain, the, the, the cliffs and the, the ups and the downs, the, 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 the land. It, it's hot during the day. It's cold at night. And you know what? There, there's predators in the land. There's wild animals in the land. There's snakes. There's scorpions. Be strong and courageous. Oh, oh yes, and, and the Hittites. Yes. The warrior people, the people that you will depose, those people, be strong and courageous because there will be opposition, there will be resistance from without. Be strong and courageous. And thirdly, this people, you will cause this people, your people, the people that you will lead, you will cause them to inherit the land, opposition from without, and unfortunately, opposition from within. As was the case with Moses, they will rebel. Not everybody's coming on board. Breaks the heart of every leader. Those are the three sources. The land, the people there, and the, the opposition from without, opposition from within. But God reminds him, listen to this. The Lord your God is with you. He's with you. Wherever you go. The joy of the Lord is my strength. No weapon fashioned against me will succeed, promises from God. But Jesus does say, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. As we conclude, let me share this prayer with you. The prayer of courage, prayer for courage, goes something like this. I ask God for courage that I might achieve, I was made weak, that I might learn to humbly obey. I ask for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I ask for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I ask for power that I might have the praise of others. I was given weakness that I might feel the very need of God. I ask for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I had hoped for. Almost, despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all people, most richly blessed. Father, thank you. From your word, the example of strength and courage to be res resolute, to make up our minds and, and to move forward, Lord, knowing that you are in control. Because there is no courage apart from fear, there is no mission apart from faith, and there is no faith apart from God. Help us, Father God, and to, to strengthen our resolve. As I said, help us to, to move forward, Lord, and help us to understand that, oh God, the battle belongs to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.